All right, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4 or point your Bible app to Ephesians 4, however you do Bible. If you didn't bring a Bible to church today, that's all right. We provided one for you in the pew ahead of you. If you don't own one, take that one as our gift to you. It's on the house. Uh, we just want you to have a Bible. We want you to know that what I'm about to say doesn't come from uh, my head, it comes from Jesus' heart. So um, let's, uh, let's open that up and let's read our passage. We're going to read verse 7 down to verse 13. That's, that's where we're going to be. If you received a worship guide when you came in, a program, on the back side of it are the notes that we're going to be following along, and you can follow along with us um, and uh, fill that stuff in as you wish. Verse 7, Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 7, just picking up where we left off last week. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, When he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended, what does it mean? But that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth. Who filled, who, He who descended is the one who ascended far above all heavens, that he might fill all things. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Let's pray. Father, this is your word in our lap. And we ask God that you would give us ears to hear it. And that you would move away from us the fog and the mist. The distractions of this week that shroud us from seeing your word and I pray as your servant that you would move upon me that I would speak as an oracle of God accurately truthfully that I would rightly handle the word of truth and that before I speak a word against your word that you would strike me dumb and equip your people to serve your mission in their life and through their life for the glory of Jesus alone in Jesus name for Jesus' praise, Cornerstone said amen. All right, so here's, here's what we're doing. You guys remember a long time ago when you could buy Legos in buckets. Do you remember that? They used to come in buckets. And inside that bucket, there was just hundreds of little pieces, different colors and different shapes and sizes. And what was really wonderful about those Lego buckets was you'd look in there and you'd see all of these pieces. And it represented something magical, at least to me it was, because you could create anything you wanted. You're really only limited by two things, your imagination and the amount of Legos you had, right? You could literally build anything you wanted with a bucket of Legos. My wife and I, some years ago, we had the privilege of going to Legoland in, um, in Denmark. It's in the same town that the Lego factory is, uh, where, where Legos are made. And it was a wonderful experience, and we got to see some really cool things. We got to see, they have like scale models of downtown London. 
you'd have the the big you know the big Ferris wheel and that big bend there and the London Bridge and the River Thames and you had wonderful things. They had uh, Mount Rushmore. They had um, you know the Eiffel Tower. By the way, this is, these aren't small scales. The Eiffel Tower was like twelve feet or something. It was huge, and this is all made of Legos. If you have enough Legos, you can literally build whatever. They had just these huge scale lions made out of Legos. It was amazing. Well, uh, if you have children, uh, many of you may know this already, but if you go down the Lego aisle today, uh, Legos are different now. You you may be able to still buy a box of Legos, but what you'll find in the Lego aisle is it's a bunch of Lego sets. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Lego sets where... You, you buy a set, and there's a set built around any. There's themes around Star Wars. There's a Star Wars set. There's um, there's Lego Friends for girls. There's uh, something called Ninjago, whatever in the world that is. There's these sets of Legos. And this is bizarre to me. As, as a parent, my kids were young, and they were growing up, and we would buy these sets for them. And this is what was bizarre to me, because you open the box of the Lego set, and there's two things in the box. There's one, it's a, it's a, it's a plastic-wrapped bunch of Legos. And the pieces that are in there are so specialized to that set that they don't function anywhere else. You can't do anything with them. It's just a specific Lego set. And you know what else is in there? It's so frustrating to me. Instructions. Step-by-step instructions in a box of Legos. Are you kidding me? Step-by-step instructions on how to put together this Lego set. That's frustrating to me because you know, Legos aren't, they don't come with instructions. When you buy a box of Legos, there's no instructions. The only instructions are in your brain, right? In your hands. You figure it out yourself. You can build whatever you want. But with the Lego set, you can build what someone else decided that you should build. And by the way, these are going to set you back. These Lego sets, they're not cheap either. There are they? Who, who's bought these things before for, for kids, grandkids? They're, they range anywhere from what, like $20? I've seen them on up to several hundred dollars for those big Millennium Falcons, which by the way are really sweet. We've got this giant Millennium Falcon, but it costs several hundred dollars to put that Lego set together and the instruction book is like 18 pages long. But nevertheless, you know, Lego figured something out. Who knew you could take instructions, step-by-step instructions and turn it into a toy? But they figured it out, and they're making lots and lots of money with that. But here's the most frustrating thing of it all. When you read the scriptures, and you read through especially Ephesians, here's what you find. The, the Christian life is more like a Lego set than it is a Lego box. You see, God is the builder. You're not the builder. You don't get to use your creativity and create from this verse in this verse, in this verse, in this verse, to build the Christian life for yourself. Th- that's already been given to you in a step-by-step Lego set instructions. And you and I, we get to be the piece, you know, the little Lego piece inside the box that God uses to build his structure called the church. And some of us get to be big, big pieces with lots of little connectors. Some of us get to be that little itty-bitty, tiny little one-piece block connector. You know the one that if you step on uh, with, with bare foot, you, you, you suddenly not become a Christian anymore and then go back to becoming a Christian again. That little, some of us, we get to be that little piece. Some of us get to be big. You don't get to choose what piece you are. But this is what's frustrating is that we don't get to build the church. We don't get to build our life the way we want it. Because Jesus said this uh, a long time ago. He said, I will build my church. Hey, you're not the builder. 
You're the block. I'm the builder. And that, that may be a little frustrating, but nevertheless, that's the way that it is. And this is why unity becomes so important. And this is why unity is a subject that we've been discussing for about three weeks now in the book of Ephesians. That's why, if you notice, when we read at the opening of our service today, Paul uses the word one like seven times. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God. It's all one. Unity is very important. And so while you may be a wonderfully unique, beautiful snowflake, you are a wonderfully beautiful, unique snowflake, not for yourself, but for Jesus. You understand? Remember, you, 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 we all grew up in, in kindergarten, and you were told in kindergarten, you're a beautiful snowflake. Every snowflake's different, and you're different. And some of you are particularly different. But you're a beautiful snowflake that God made you unique. There's no one like you. And let's celebrate that individualism. Let's celebrate that uniqueness. And that's God-given. And it is. Uniqueness, you, there's only one you. Thank the Lord, there's only one you. And God made you that one you. But here's the thing that we need to all come to realize if we are to be a part of this church that Jesus is building, is that your uniqueness, as wonderful as it is, as beautiful as it is, God is not creating that wonderful, unique you to lift you up so that everyone would marvel at your uniqueness. Am I making sense? Your uniqueness is to serve a purpose so that God would take you, that little Lego block, smack you into his church, connect you with his brothers and sisters, with, with his people, your brothers and sisters, to become the church so that God would lift up Jesus and everyone would look to Jesus and marvel at the uniqueness that is Jesus but we don't like that. We, we would prefer, because it's, it's, it's way more uh, glorious to say, look what I built, than it is to say, hey, look what Jesus built. You see me? I'm that really little, you, you can't barely really see me, but if you like zoom way in, that's me right down there. But see, the whole point of everything is not so that you would be glorified, but it would be that Jesus would be glorified. And so this is what Paul is telling us in um, in Ephesians chapter 4. Um, and we resist unity because we like to be the, the point of everything. But we are not the point of everything. Jesus is the point of everything. So that's what we're working in in Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. So we're going to be about 35 minutes and then we're going to wrap up and then you can go eat. So verse 7. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's Gifts. So I call this, you need help, beautiful snowflake, because you're so unique that you love your uniqueness and you resist being used by God for his purpose and not yours. So Paul says, you're going to need help. The command that's incumbent on every believer, every follower of Jesus is that, as we read in verse 1, to walk in a manner that is worthy of the calling. And this is a high calling. The calling of God is a very high calling. And this is kind of how it worked out with the Lord. That um, He knew the calling was high. And so God called his people to the high calling and they, they blew it. They messed it up. The calling that God has for your life, you blew it. So God came into the world. 
He added humanity to his divinity and Jesus Christ lived the life that you were supposed to live, that, that calling you were supposed to, to live up to. He lived it. He did it for you. 30 years on the earth, he was sinless. And the people in that day took the sinless Savior and they murdered him on a cross. And, 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 and while Jesus hung on the cross, a couple of things happened. Where you blew it, where you messed up, where your, you rebelled against God in hatred of him, God took that sin, yours and mine, and he, he took it off of you and he placed it on Jesus on the cross. And when Jesus died, that sin died. He paid the penalty for your sin on the cross. But that's not all. God did something else, something just as wonderful. On the cross, God took that perfect, sinless, righteous life. We just sang about it a few minutes ago that Jesus earned for you because of God. And he gifted that righteousness to you at the same time. So God lifted your sin and placed it on Jesus and gifted you the righteousness of Christ. And so now you stand before God completely righteous with regard to your salvation. And so when God looks at you, he doesn't see your failures and where you've missed the mark. He sees the righteousness, not of Matt Flora, but of Jesus Christ, his own son. And that's the gospel. And that's the gospel that's been entrusted to you and I. That's the gospel that Jesus gave for us to carry into every place in the whole world as his, as his body, as his church. He did this not because you were a beautiful, unique snowflake. He did this because he was good, gloriously good. So that's what we're supposed to do. To lift up Jesus, to celebrate his wonderfulness, and to carry that wonderful message, the gospel, the good news, into, all the, in, into the entire earth, every part of it. That's what we're called to. Every campus, every country, every cul-de-sac, every place. And so we're going to need unity. And so we're going to need to be unified together for this purpose. And this is what Paul, what Paul the Apostle the writer of Ephesians has been teaching us. Which means it's going to require selflessness. That we're going to have to put our ambitions and our wants aside and prefer his wants and his ambitions to our own. So we're going to need unity. So Paul comes along in verse 7 and he says, you're going to need some unity, so grace has been given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Gift. And so God gives us grace. It comes to us in the measure that Christ has given to us. And then next in uh, verse 8 there, he probably, quali- he, he probably quotes from Psalm 68, referring to the victory of God over his enemies and um, and applies that victory to the cross and and, um, and then he gives gifts to men. God gives gift to men. By the way, the, that word men in the Greek means men and women. So it's not like the men are gifted, but sorry, women. It's, it's, the Greek allows for both. So uh, God knew we needed help and he gave us gifts. So a couple of words next about gifts. The first thing I want to say about gifts from this passage is contextually, 
Paul is talking about um, the gifts, which he will mention in verse 11, which are the, the, the ministries, the, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers. That's in, in context of this passage. That's the gift he's referring to. However, we can speak generally, speaking generally about the gifts that God has given to us, namely the gifts of the Spirit. Okay? So let's talk for a few minutes about the gifts of the Spirit. First of all, what are these gifts? What are these gifts? Speaking very generally, as I mentioned, gifts are God-given, God-inspired, or God-empowered abilities to accomplish God's purposes. God-given, God-empowered abilities to accomplish God's purposes. That's what the gifts of the Spirit are for. If you, if you look through the New Testament, there's five places in the New Testament where the gifts are listed. Um, and you can look those up if, if we had time. But uh, we're not going to unpack every single one of those. It's beyond the the scope of our message this morning. But just know this. The gifts of the Spirit are God-given, God-empowered abilities for God's purposes. So that's the first thing. Second thing. Gifts are given, in verse 7, to each one of us. Each one of us. Everybody gets a gift. Every follower of Jesus gets a gift. Everyone has a purpose. Everyone has a unique purpose. Everyone's a little Lego piece that God is using for his specific purpose. You have a part to play in the mission. You have a part to play in the mission of God. How do you know what that is? Well, you ask. You ask God. You you say, God, what's my part? And he'll answer. And then you try something. And if it fails, you try something else. It's pretty simple, right? Um... I make fun because I've met plenty of Christians over the years who are like, I just don't, you know, Pastor, I don't really know my part. The church, I don't really know what God's calling me to. Right? I don't know, baby, I don't know what peace I am in, in this thing that God is. Cre- and, and then I'll say, inevitably, well, what have you tried so far? Well, nothing really. And I'm like, hey, how about try something? Okay, ask God where you can be used, and then try and use it. And if it blows up on you, well, let's try something else. Okay, maybe that's not it. Let's try something else. Pretty simple. But God has given every single person in here unique talents and gifts and abilities to serve his purpose in the church and through the church. Get it? Number three. Three things. Um, four things. Three, the third thing. God chooses which gift you get. Okay, this isn't Chipotle. You don't get to choose what, what things you want. Like, ah, that looks, I'm gonna, I want that gift. That's the gift I want, God. I'm going to do that gift. God is the one who chooses what gift you get. In, in uh, 1 Corinthians, I think I have it in your notes, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11, it says, Gifts were apportioned to each one individually as he wills. He, not me. He, with a capital H. He wills. He, as in the Spirit of God, wills. God's Holy Spirit chooses which gift you get. You might like the big gifts, the fancy gifts, but God is the one who chooses which gift you get. So don't complain if you're that one little connector piece that everybody steps on in the middle of the night. That little piece, that, that, that might be the, what you get. And that is an important integral piece in God's plan. Last thing about gifts. Somebody's like, yes, last thing. Last thing about gifts. I got like four more slides. The 
the purpose of God's gift on your life are to serve God's purpose and maintain unity. They're to serve God's purpose and maintain unity. I have to say this because we're in a spirit-filled church. And, And so let me be clear. If the operation of the gift of the Spirit doesn't lead to unity in the church, it is not an operation of the gift of the Spirit. It is an operation of the gift of your flesh. So when... We're going to talk about this a little bit more later. But when you operate in God's empowering, His gift of the Spirit in your life, two things will always happen. One, God will be made much of, not you. And it will bring unity to the church. Not disunity. Unity, which is not the same as disunity. We'll get, we'll get to that more in, in a few minutes. It's, um, it's an important one, so that I have to put it in there a couple of times. All right, next next verse. Um, verse. Verse 9. Let's go down to, um, yeah, I think that's where we're going to be at. Verse 9, yeah. This is the parenthetical section. Um, in your Bible, it's probably in parentheses, isn't it? Uh, it is in mine. So verse 9. In saying he ascended, what does it mean that he also descended into the low regions, the earth, He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Now, I don't want you to get tripped up on this verse. It seems like it's mystical. It's not really that difficult. It's a pretty simple point that Paul is making here. Um, So we're not going to spend really that much time on it at all. Uh, It just means that uh, God won a victory when Jesus died. So Jesus came into the earth and then He got murdered, right? He got killed for sin. He got put in the grave. And Jesus being put in the grave, descending into the lower parts of the earth, that wasn't a defeat for God. That wasn't a victory for God's enemies. That was God's plan. Okay, remember? I've said this a number of times. The cross was not plan B. The cross was plan A. In fact, the book of Acts goes so far as to say it was predestined by God. There was grace set aside. He tells Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, there was grace set aside before the foundation of the earth. God already had this. So when Adam and Eve took of that fruit and they ate of that fruit, God wasn't pulling his hair out being like, dang, I don't know what to do next. He knew that was going to happen and he, he planned for the cross to happen. So that was plan A. The point being is that Jesus resurrected from the dead and that was a victory for God. That the cross was not a defeat. That Jesus being lowered into the lower parts of the earth, that wasn't a defeat for God. That was God's plan. And that's what Paul is saying here. And he's saying then that is that Jesus would be ascend and he's reigning victorious in heaven, that he might fill all things. And so Paul's just keeping us on track with the whole purpose of the book of Ephesians, which is to tell us this is what God is doing. He's making much of Jesus in the, in the earth. That's what he's doing. So that, it's pretty simple. Pretty simple. Another word about gifts. It is to, um, at the end of verse 9, you see this. Verse 10, rather. That he might fill all things. I like that Paul puts that in there. Because he's, he's taking you back to chapter 1, where G, he comes along, he says, this is what God's been doing since the foundation of the earth. He's, he's, that Christ might be all, that everything might be about Jesus. Remember, that's the whole purpose of everything, is that everything will be about Jesus. 
What does that have to do with gifts? Well, it has a lot to do with gifts. If you've been in a spirit-filled church for any amount of time, it has a lot to do with gifts. Because I said, the, the operation of the gifts will always make much of Jesus. Make Jesus look awesome and not make you look... That's why the fun gifts, like the gift of prophecy, doesn't need a microphone. And that's why the gifts don't need a platform. Because the whole point of them isn't so that everyone would look at you and say, hey, do you see, bro, she's like spiritual. I'm talking like spiritual. The whole point would be like, did you see what God did? You see what I'm saying? Is that she's in the background. Jesus is in the foreground. That's how the operation of the gifts are supposed to happen. Let's, let's move on. I'm probably going to talk more about that later. Your gift from God. Verse 11. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. This is the gift that Paul was talking about in context. This is the gift. He gave this to you. He gave gifts to men. And these are the gifts that God has given. The ministers of the church. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. And so we're going to take a couple of minutes and just look at these gifts. These are sometimes called the five-fold ministry, although there may only be four. When you read it in the Greek, it's, it sometimes seems, it seems like there's a definite article between for apostles, the apostles, then the prophets, then the evangelists. But then when Paul comes to um, pastors and teachers, he doesn't use the definite article. So it could be pastors and teachers could be the same role, same function. It's, I don't think it matters that much to our passage this morning, but nevertheless, that's what it is. So it could be the four. We're just going to call it the five-ish fold ministry. That's That's what we're going to call it. So let's look at this um, real quickly. What are the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers? Apostles and prophets, just so you know, this is the third time Paul mentioned them in the book of Ephesians. He's already mentioned them in chapter 2 and chapter 3. They were mentioned as the foundation of the church. They're mentioned as those who God has given to reveal his mystery in, in, to the church. So what are the apostles? Look at them first. The apostles uh, were men that God chose. Jesus chose these by himself. He chose them specifically. Remember, Jesus spent an entire night, and he prayed about it, and he chose these guys. These were men chosen by Jesus himself, witnesses of the resurrection, who were authoritatively instrumental in laying the foundation of the church. That's what the apostles are. Chosen by Jesus, witnesses of the resurrection, and they laid the foundation. God gave them authority to lay the foundation of the church that Jesus is building. That's the apostles. The prophets were similar. They were men that were gifted by God to speak his will to his people. Men who were particularly gifted by God to speak his will to his people. That's what a prophet is. We see New Testament prophets throughout the book of Acts. We see them as a very important part in the, the church at Antioch. Whatever chapter that is, 12 or 13. We see uh, prophets there in the Jerusalem Council in Acts 15. We see um, a prophet named Agabus in later chapters, the 20-ish chapters, where uh, Paul is warned to not go to a certain place by a prophet. So we see the prophetic, the the prophet, the role of the uh, uh, prophet, holding a very foundational role as God is building his church. Now I should say, uh, many people believe that the the office of apostle and prophet have ceased. That God used them and gave us the canon, because the, 
most of the people who wrote the New Testament were apostles. Not all of them, but most of them. So most, a lot of people, a lot of commentators, a lot of Bible teachers and theologians believe that apostles and prophets as a function, as an office, have ceased in the earth. And I, I would tend to agree with that. It just means that you can't put apostle on your business card. I mean, that, that's, you're not laying the foundation of the church of Jesus Christ. Pretty well has already been laid. I, I, don't, I don't think that you can hold that office anymore. I take that from Ephesians 2.20, which just says that they're the foundation of the church. It's already been laid. And some people would disagree with that, but that, and that's okay. But I, I think that the work or function of apostles and prophets still works today. Certainly, God gifts people the gift of prophecy for a word of encouragement for folks. So the work of a prophet, I just don't think you could put that on a business card. Same thing with like a church planner in many ways does the work of an, of an apostle. And equipping people and raising up leaders and all that. So th- that work is still in operation. But I- I'm just a little wary of when somebody hands me a business card that says, Jamie Wellman, and underneath it says, Prophet. With a capital P. I'm going, like, eh, I don't know. What about that? Evangelist. Evangelist is, um, it's just a Greek word that means um, bringer of good news. Somebody who carries the good news. This is a, somebody who's particularly gifted by God to carry the news, good news of the gospel to uh, other parts of the world. Um, this role was held by a man named Philip in the book of Acts in Acts 21. Um, some people hold this role. Other people don't hold this role but can work that role. Paul tells Timothy to do the work of an evangelist. So some people have a role and function as an evangelist. Other people just do the work of an evangelist. Every pastor is called to be an evangelist in some way or another. Do the work of an evangelist. And then pastor-teacher. And I just, I put pastor slash teacher because we don't know. if They're separate or they're different. Um, there is some disagreement about whether they are separate or not. Um, but the, the shepherd is basically one who cares for the flock of God, preaches scripture, reprove, re, rebuke, exhort. Uh, that's my calling as a pastor, just a pastor shepherd. That's what I do. Preach the Bible, reprove, exhort, you know, just be a pastor. Some teachers are pastors as well, but not all teachers are pastors. Does that make sense? Every pastor is a teacher, but not every teacher is a pastor. So that's how that can maybe be uh, distinguished. So that's what the f- five-ish fold ministry is, is that uh, those there that Paul's referring to. Verse 12, this is where I, where I w- really want to dig in. And uh, we've got about 15 minutes left, and I really want to get to this. Verse 12, he gives us these, these apostles, prophets, pastors, all that, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So in the next 15 minutes, I just want to unpack these, I think there are four things that Paul gives to us. The the functions of the ministers of the gospel, the functions of the ministers of the church, the, the church leaders. Four goals, four gifts, these things. Number one, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. To equip the saints for the work of the ministry. God provided these ministry leaders and these gifts 
to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So here's what that means to us, Cornerstone. Let's stop waiting on the guys who lead to do all the work. Because the work of the ministry is to be done by those who are the saints. That's you and I, both of us. We get to do the work of the ministry. My role as your pastor is to equip you. I get to do it too, but I also get to equip you and to help you. The word equip just means furnish, to give you the tools that you're going to need to do the work of the ministry. You know why? Because I don't work where you work. I don't have the same Facebook friends you have. I don't see your relatives like you see them. When people are hurting, they don't always call me. Sometimes they call you. And so the work of the ministry is to be done by you and you and you and you and you, wherever you are, wherever God has placed you. Every single one of us, whether you're in middle school or college or you're retired, you're to do the work of the ministry. Every one of us. Number two. It says... Equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. The building up of the body of Christ. So this is one of the functions of the gifts of the ministers. They're to build up the body of Christ, which is not the same as tear it down. To build it up. Pastors, build up the body. The gifts of the pastors to be used, your gifts to be used in the operation in the church to build up the body, not tear it down. So, I think it's important for every one of us before we operate in, in, in a gift, a spirit-filled gift of the Spirit, we should ask, how is this going to build up the body of Christ? How is it going to build it up? Number three, until we all attain to the unity of the faith, and the knowledge of the Son of God. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. That's the goal. That's the goal. That's the point of it all. The gifts and the ministries are meant to bring unity until we all attain to the unity of the faith. And bring knowledge about Jesus. How many times do you think you've seen a gift of the Spirit be used in operation in a church? And it does bring knowledge, but it brings knowledge about this Son of God, not that Son of God. The point of the gifts of the Spirit and the, and the ministries of the church are to bring unity and to teach people about Jesus. So when they're used in a church setting... People should leave from that place with a new understanding about something about Jesus, not a new understanding about the craziness of Jamie. Does it make sense? It's not, I'm not trying to teach you how devoted I am, how willing I am to look like a crazy person. I'm supposed to use the gifts of the Spirit in order to build up the church, to unify us in the faith, and to teach about Jesus. So people should leave here after you used your gift and it should be Jesus they should be talking about, not Jamie. Look, I, I, I'm all for the use of the gifts of the Spirit, but, and I'm not concerned that people would fall down on their face 
before the Lord in a church service. I'm not concerned about that. My concern is that people would fall on their face before the Lord in a church service, and that would be the only time they do it. Are you following with me? The gifts of the Spirit to be in use in the church and outside the church for the sake of bringing knowledge to the Son of God. And so I will make no apologies as a pastor for making sure that every time an operation of the gift of the Spirit is used in these four walls, it is Jesus that's on display and not Jamie and not Matt and not anyone else. Number four. Last point, because the kids are screaming. To mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Maturity. Maturity. Which is measured, so you know, in Christ-likeness. I told you before, I'm not trying to make you like Jamie. All right, we don't need more Jamie likeness. We need more Jesus likeness. And so to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. God measures maturity. God measures maturity. And I think that's kind of important because some of us don't like to measure anything. Right? You might give a trophy to your sixth place soccer team because you feel like they all gave a really good effort, but God is measuring things. God is measuring. And he's measuring you against Jesus. And so all I'm doing is asking you how you're holding up. If God were to take Jesus here and you here, where's the likeness? How are you like Jesus? You're never going to be perfect. You're never going to be exactly like him. The point is, is that are you more like Jesus today than you were a month ago? Or are you acting more like Jesus today than you did a year ago? Or are people in your life seeing more of Jesus in your life than they did a year ago or a month ago or a week ago or yesterday or when you stepped on that Lego? You should be becoming more like Jesus to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. You should be looking like, acting like, talking like Jesus. So all I'm asking is, how how, how are you doing? Take an inventory. If you're married, God has gifted you with one person who, if you're not sure how much like Jesus you are, you can ask them, and I promise they're more than happy to answer that question for you. Baby, how am I doing? What areas of my life do you see that I need to repent for and I need to grow to be more like Jesus? Man, that's why I've told you this from the beginning. You ought to be the greatest example of what Jesus would be like in a home that your wife has ever met. Isn't that what Ephesians 5 is going to teach us in a few weeks? Application point. If you brought your, uh, if you, you still have your little card, your little application card, take this out on the Back side of it, front side of it. There's three application points I want you to take with you this week. We're going to wrap. Accept your Lego shape. 
You don't get to choose which Lego piece you are. God chose it for you. God's using you to build his church. Just accept that place, accept that piece, and do what God is asking you to do. Serve your church. Serve God's people in your church. Be that piece. And don't grumble and complain because your piece only has two connectors. Some of us get lots of connectors. Some of us get one. Be the connector. Be the Lego piece God created you to be. It's the new title of Joel Osteen's book. Number two, use your gift to build. Use your gift to build. Don't use your gift to build yourself. Use your gift to build knowledge of Jesus. Make much of Jesus, not much of yourself. And the last thing is lean into Christ. What I mean is lean into Jesus. Be like Jesus. Look at Jesus. How are you going to be like Jesus unless you're reading your Bible? I mean, really. How are you going to be moving toward Christ-likeness in your life without getting your nose in the Scriptures and reading what Jesus is like? Read the Gospels. That's why my, my New Testament Bible reading plan always has Gospels in it and New Testament letters. Move like this. You always have some Jesus in there. Because I'm not that much like him, and I want to be more like him. And I need to know more about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what you are doing in us. And I ask, Father, that you would create Christ-likeness in us. That Christ would be formed in us. And that those of us who serve one another would serve for the sake of seeing Christ-likeness formed in one another. Not so that we can look good. Not so that we can be heard but so that Jesus can be glorified and the purpose which Jesus has given to Jesus' church will be fulfilled. For your praise and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.